take the rest of the service today to talk to you about CT, who we are, where we're going, and what our next steps are. Uh, a couple of things that I'll mention to you that if you still are able to pay off your pledge whenever you fulfill your vow, uh, someone say, may ask the question, how do I receive the plaque? As soon as you've paid off that, then we'll, we'll honor you the same way and, and give you the plaque. It's not an exclusive club is what I'm trying to say, is that I realize that some folk were affected by the economy and were not able to fulfill their vow, and we recognize that, but at such a time as you can fulfill the vow, we want to give you the same uh, opportunity to rejoice that you completed through God's help something that you set out to do for God. And regardless of whether you completed or not, we're honoring you today because you did make an effort to try and help us. And you stretched yourself. And in the worst possible time that, that has existed in the economy in this nation, you gave. And I am grateful. I want to say thank you. Amen. To all of you for what you have done. Now, to better appreciate our future, we need to know a little bit about our past. You can remove that if you would. Robert, this church actually began, are you ready for this? You can pull this up on our website if you'd like, like to. Go to ctab.org and you can read a more thorough history of the church. But I want to spend a few moments and tell you where we've come from. This church began as a prayer meeting in 1950. In the home of Bernice Bean, she became the first pastor of this church. And she pastored for 17 years, a small group of people in her home, and then in small buildings, then in a school. And her son, when her health began to decline, became the senior pastor. His name was Verbal Bean. He was married to Anita, and they pastored for 11 years until he was killed in an automobile accident. Real strange, the week before he was killed in that automobile accident, he actually called me to come here and preach a revival meeting. I was in the state of Mississippi preaching at the time. I never dreamed I would someday be pastor here, but God understands ways and things that we haven't even comprehended yet. When Verbal Bean went home to be with the Lord, Charles and Bonnie Free came, and they served for 12 years as pastor. We just lost our last surviving member of the original church family that began all those many years ago when a little... A, I guess a little less than a month ago, Hazel Owens went home to be with the Lord. She was 95 years young and loved her church until the day God called her home. A great lady. Amen. Under their leadership, the members built this building we currently worship in in 1978. They worked to pay for it because they were a small congregation by selling dinners, raising offerings, selling peanut brittle, you see these folk that stand along intersections and by the freeway? That was some members of CT years ago that were doing that to pay for this building. And as the Freeze began to prepare to retire, they asked that I come and be co-pastor with first position of responsibility to smooth the transition. And I came in 1988 to partner with them. They retired one year later and I became the senior pastor in 1989. 1990, we built the Family Life Center. We paid for it out of our regular church budget and with candy sales and other little things that we would try to do. But we didn't ask anybody to give any money toward that. Um, we did our best to try to make that as painless as we could for this congregation. 
Since then, we have grown from one Sunday morning service. First Sunday morning I was here with about 75 people in the service to a church that now has seven weekend services. Friday night, Saturday night, four on Sunday morning, and a Spanish service at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. We also have 11 children's churches going on at the same time that most of you would never even realize were taking place because we want to be able to relate the gospel to people that uh, at the age they can best receive it. Make church wonderful and enjoyable rather than being the kind of thing where kids say, oh, mom, do we have to go to church? Dad, must we go this Sunday? We want kids to come and learn about God and be excited. The past 20 years, we've also helped launch 20 daughter churches in the greater Houston area. And uh, people that have come out from this congregation that we have commissioned in the ministry, positioned in ministry, given them finances, and helped them get started. 1998, we established a missions program and launched our first Bible school. It was in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. We have now had 2,700 students go through that program who are starting churches throughout the East African nations of Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and Mozambique. We also began to mentor other church leaders around the world who head frontline or native missions programs. And their missions have grown because we have helped them understand they need to focus on placing the emphasis on training frontline leaders and establishing Bible schools that train and raise up pastors and ministers and evangelists rather than just doing what missionaries used to do and host crusades and evangelistic meetings. The leaders of these various groups that we have trained, that I call my spiritual sons, have in turn launched thousands of churches around the world in some of the most difficult and hard-to-reach areas that exist in the world, in parts of Asia like India, where there's tremendous persecution right now. If you're keeping up with the political situation in India, the man that was just elected president in India was on our no-fly list because he supported uh, discrimination and attacks against Christians and Muslims. He's now the president of that country. We have thousands of churches there that are growing, exploding, even under the face of fierce persecution. Also in places throughout the continent of Africa and in numerous Latin and South American countries as well. Some of the churches this church helped start, this is what most of you don't even realize has happened. Some of the churches we have helped start have now grown to be huge and significant. Some of the people we trained are now bishops of large congregations, they're heads of even their own missions networks and organizations. You gave the money to put them through Bible school and help them. And this is what I travel to do each week, mentor these people. And now they're pastoring thousands. For example, in Russia, right after the Iron Curtain fell, I hopped a plane at the invitation of Bob Weiner. And we went over there together and we trained pastors. And this congregation raised the money to, to build 48 congregations. Bandons had been a building for $500. You could start a church, pay its rent, and pay the pastor's salary for a year. And we started 48 churches. Some of those churches today now have over 8,000 in attendance. Some of them have launched over 300 churches out of their congregations. That's what this church is doing. Amen. 
This church, I'm not talking about a denomination, this church right here. You wonder why there's such a favor of God upon this congregation. This is one of the reasons why. This church, CT, Christian Tabernacle, now has over 6,000 pastors that we have trained that look to us as their mother church. They call me Pops or Papa, as they call me in, in, in Africa, and look to me as their spiritual covering and father in ministry. We have been responsible for helping place them, train them, and get them started in ministry. No, I tell them like Peter and John did, silver and gold. We don't have any to give you. I can give you what really counts, though. I can give you what it takes to get started in ministry. And they have done that. They've seized it. They've taken what I've been able to share, and this church has been able to share, and they've moved forward. Many of our spiritual sons and, and daughters also in the U.S. And, and throughout Europe head up now their own organizations. And uh, I think of John Delinsky, who will be with us here just shortly this month, and the hundreds of pastors he leads in the country of Romania, where I, I go once a year to conduct conferences and do training. Then in 1996, we were visited by a supernatural visitation of God's presence. I've never written about it. Don't even talk much about it. But you walk into this building and you feel the presence of God and you wonder, what is this? Tommy Tenney, our guest evangelist at that time, did write about it in his book, The God Chasers. That visitation left an indelible mark on this congregation and we will never be the same again. That's our past. And you walk in on Sunday morning, I want you to know what you're connecting to. You're connecting to a church that hasn't been interested in just building an edifice for itself. We've been busy trying to touch the world. Amen. We've been busy trying to do what Jesus said. And I say that because Jesus didn't say go into all the world and build buildings. He said go into all the world and save people. Preach the gospel. But of course it takes buildings for people to be able to get together. But the primary concern of anybody that is a believer ought to be what can I do to take the gospel to the rest of the world? And as someone said, you leave the letters G-O out of gospel and it leaves nothing but letters of confusion. Doesn't mean anything anymore. As I've often said, the problem of the church is not power problems. It's not a problem with a motor, it's transmission trouble. We need to go, amen. And this church does more going than any congregation I've ever known of in the world. I've had pastors, heads of denominations, sit down beside me and say, how do you do it? You're doing more as one congregation than our entire denomination of thousands of churches are doing for missions. And you know what I do? I just look at them and I smile and it's, I ask them the question, what is your focus? What matters to you? That's our past. Well, what comes next is the question. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 9, listen to what God told uh, Joshua, now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. God said it's time now for you to cross over Jordan. We began a crossover campaign. Life goes forward, not backward. Amen? Can somebody in the building say amen? amen? God intends for life to move toward better things. 
doesn't want you to live in the past. God's always interested in you having a better tomorrow than you had yesterday. Jesus demonstrated this when he began his ministry. You want to connect to Jesus, you're going to get connected to somebody that always helps people have better tomorrows. He was, at his very first miracle, he was asked to help, and they had run out of wine. And the custom in that day was to serve the best wine first, and then after your sensibilities and, and your sense of taste had been dulled by the alcohol you had drunk, then you slip in the cheap stuff, you know, the kind you, you, you buy in a box, if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. And that's what they would normally do. But when Jesus turned water into wine, the guy that headed up the feast came and said, you've broken the custom. Most people serve the best wine first and save the cheap stuff for later. You've saved the very best for last. That's always been the way that God does things, saves the best for last. Because excellence is in the very nature of God himself. And you get connected to God, you move forward, not backward. Change, therefore, becomes inevitable. If you connect to God, change is going to be required. And the good thing is you either, you, you get to choose whether that change is for the better or for the worse. You don't have to sit back and wait and see what's going to happen. You can connect to God and make proactive decisions that help you have a better tomorrow. And because of that, one of the most important principles that we will ever learn is that success is not a destination, it is a, it is a journey. I wish I could hear somebody say amen. You don't ever arrive at a place that has a sign post that says, this is success. Success is in the journey in getting to where you're trying to go. In the case of the children of Israel, at God's instruction, they chose to move forward into their destinies. And because they did, success was a predetermined and predictable series of events that their journey would carry them through. What do I mean by predetermined series of events or steps? The first step was this. They had to take the land. Joshua two or 3, verses 2 through 3. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and everybody say it, go after it. Say it, go after it. God said, I'm going to lead. You determine whether you want to follow or not. But if I were you, God is saying, you better go after it when I start moving. Amen. The glory was moving to another place. You want to get hung up in yesterday, God's saying, I want you to know I'm not going to be at this address anymore. I'm moving to a new location. And the first step is to take the land, and I will be there with you to help you do it. The people had to make a decision. Do we want to live on the accomplishments of the past, or do we step forward and do our destinies? We human beings, don't we, have a tendency to want to hold on to what we've already got and not let go. We want to park here. And the problem is, is when the glory moves on, there's no longer any happiness or success where happiness and success once were found. We would like to keep everything static as it were, and it never changed. We look at the medical industry. We have doctors and nurses in our congregation. You see this little sign with the serpents twisted around the pole that they wear. You, you know what that comes from? 
It comes from the Bible. When Moses, leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, they came to a place, and the children of Israel had sinned, and they were being bitten by fiery serpents. And God said to Moses, put a brazen serpent on a pole and lift it up. And whoever looks at it will be instantly healed and not die. A one-time cure for a one-time problem. Did you know that 700 years later in 2 Kings 18 and 4, that Israel was still worshiping that thing? A one-time cure for a one-time problem, and 700 years later, they were still holding on. And Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said, this won't work. And you know what he did? He broke it in pieces according to the word of the Lord. Why do we resent change? Why did they hold on to that thing? It was because change is uncomfortable. It makes us stretch, and we often don't want to do that. But Israel never would have moved into the promised land to live in houses they had not built, drink from wells they had not dug, and experience the, 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 the plenteousness, the abundance of borns they had not constructed that were already full if they had not followed God. Here's what I'm telling you, that when you follow God, this nomadic people, Israel, who were wanderers, who because they were wanderers had very few possessions, became a people that became wealthy. You see, nomadic people, whether it's the noble American Indian or whether it's the, the, the brave Messiah warrior or it's the Bedouin of the Middle East, when you're nomads, your possessions are limited to what you can carry from one place to another. That was the story with Israel. But once they moved in and took the land, they built homes. They built a government. They built a structure, a socioeconomic structure. And guess what? The people flourished and became wealthy. God moved them to a different socioeconomic place. I personally believe it's God's will that every person that is a believer own their own home. I wish I could get an amen somewhere. God doesn't want you to just live like a nomad or a Bedouin in a tent. God wants you to have some land. So you know what? He spoke to CT and our leadership. One day I took our board out on the belt when all of that was undeveloped. And we went out and looked at a piece of property. I'd had a real estate agent take a look at it for us to find us a, a location. They found 48 and a half acres. And I said, guys, we need to buy this. And do you know some of the board members said, we don't even know how we'll pay for it. Some of them even resigned then you, you, because they didn't want to take the step. But God was saying, we need to take the land. Step number one, like Israel did. Israel took the land and then they built, built. What people don't realize is moving into the promised land was a two-part or two-phase conquest. First take the land, then you go in and build. Amen. And you know what? They took the land. We did. And we started paying for that land out of the monthly budget. Never ask you for a dime. Amen. It wasn't easy. And because it wasn't easy, as I said, some of the board members didn't even know how we'd be able to do it. I'm thinking of one in particular that pulled me aside and talked to him and said, Pastor, I don't know if we can do this, and tendered his resignation. And I thanked him. He wasn't being disloyal. It was just stretching us at that point as a congregation. Earlier, we had bought this property 12.45 acres just to the east. Never said a word to anybody. 
the congregation to ask for an offering. We just paid for it, paid $120,000 for it. And now we're at a position where we have seized the land. You say, what's this Sunday morning about? Well, the day came when the land had been taken. You see, you don't take the land over day. Do you know scholars say it took Israel four years to take the land? They didn't just move in and the enemy lay down and play dead. There were some hardships to go through. There were some battles to fight. Do we know anything about that? Oh, yeah, we know about recessions and economic turndowns. Somebody that's ever been through a battle, say amen. Yeah, it cost us something, but we fought to take our land. Yeah, we knew God was speaking to us as a congregation, and we purchased that property, 40, 48 and a half acres, and we bought it for $795,000. I saw what the property was doing a year later. We went back and bought 15 acres more, and this time had to pay $1,050,000 for just 15 acres. The first we paid 21 cents a square foot for. A year later, $1.86 a square foot. Hmm, something is going on. Because when God says, go get the land, you need to have the land or somebody else is going to be owning it. You know what I mean? Somebody else is going to be blessed. Somebody else is going to stop being a nomad or a Bedouin and a wanderer. Somebody else will be able to sink down roots and thrive and prosper. And this church had been faithful. Faithful to its missions mandate, faithful to God, faithful in its service to this community. And God said, it's time to bless Christian Tabernacle. So we went, we took the land, and God made a way. Even in the middle of an economic recession, we, I know we pledged 7.2 million, but then the rug was yanked out from underneath us. People lost jobs. The attitude of America turned down big time. We raised $3.3 million in one of the worst seasons that you could ever possibly imagine. Every single penny is accounted. You're welcome at any time to go look and see where that money went. And the good news is there came a day when the land had been taken. Joshua 11 and 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Oh, hallelujah. And in Joshua 21, 43 and 45, so the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. Somebody say all the land, amen. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand and not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Say those last four words. All came to pass. Christian Tabernacle, I've come to tell you, we've taken the land. Hallelujah. What we did was we sold that property next door that we bought for $120,000 for $525,000. It's peaked out. Real estate agents tell us that this area is not climbing any higher. It's stabilized and will go the other way before it goes higher. 
So we sold it at the right moment, cleared after realtor's fees and so forth, right at 490000 put it together with 200 uh, plus thousand from the building program. And I've come here to tell you this morning that Christian Tabernacle is now debt-free. Amen. Somebody in the building ought to shout for the Lord. That's why it's time to celebrate. Somebody ought to give God a high five and say thank you for helping us here today. So what's this Sunday morning about? This Sunday morning is about acknowledging a God who helped us. Had it not been for the Lord who was on our side. Pastor Tony, I want you to come. And with this congregation, I want us to celebrate the burning of the mortgage that signifies we are now completely debt-free. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise God. I'm going to read for you a, a note from our bank. It says, Wood Forest National Bank has received the final payment on the above-referenced loan. Enclosed, please find your promissory note stamped, paid along with a copy of the record uh, recorded release of lien securing your loan. The note has been paid in full. Hallelujah. We are a debt-free church, and we are ready now to move. I think Pastor is going to mention now that as we burn this note, this now signifies that we are now not just in a position to be debt-free, but we are going to continue being debt-free in building this $10 million property I'll get to that. cash without thumb. owing anybody is our strategy now. Can you say amen? Amen. I like debt-free. I, like I do the, too. I like the feel of having a church that can build a property without even borrowing any money. Can you say amen? Amen. And that's where we're headed. I'll hold it. You burn it, okay? All right. Go ahead. Let's go. Burn, baby, burn. Hallelujah. No more debt. Somebody say no more debt. This is an act that you can claim for your life and your family as well. Hallelujah. Somebody give God some praise right now. Thank you, Pastor Tony. You may be seated because I want to share with you a couple of other things. Tony went ahead and, and you know, gave you a spoiler alert. We're going to be debt-free by God's grace from here on out. Amen. Listen, what do we need to do the second step? The first step for Israel was take the land. Second step was build a nation, build government, build infrastructure, build homes, build an economy, build farms, build businesses, build families, build places where ministry could be done, and yes, build God a house. They did that debt-free. I want you to understand that Christian Tabernacle can follow the same path, and that is our intention. As leaders, we have acted with integrity. Every penny has been spent, and you can see where it has gone. Now, what do we need to do the second step? Israel took the land. Then to build the dream, what do you need? We need $10 million. 
Anybody got it in their bank account, write a check, and we're going to all go home right now. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. Help us pray. The corner pads on that property are commercial pads. We want to sell those for $1.5 million each. That's $3 million. Oh, somebody needs to say amen for that. Now you say, can it be done? Yep. Yeah, it can. We bought the first acreage, remember, for 21 cents a square foot. Year later, $1.86 a square foot. We've got an offer right now from one of the major hotel chains in this city wanting to buy one of the corner pads for $10 a square foot. Now, you, you hadn't even heard the good part yet. We turned them down. We're holding out for 15. You know why? Because the belt is exploding. When we bought that property, nobody was out there. There were nothing but raccoons and possums and coyotes. I mean, nothing was out there. You know what? They didn't even have the belt in. We were on the feeder roads during that time. Y'all remember those days? It hadn't been long ago. We haven't had the property that long. But now we've, we've seized the land. And you know what? We're in a position, we don't have to sell it right now. We, it's going to take us 18 months to two years to build. And every day of those 18 months to two years, guess what's happening to that property? It's going up, 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 up. That's $3 million. Where you're worshiping right now, we've had it appraised, $4.5 million. We want to sell this property here, put the church up. At seven and a half million, you know what it leaves? Two and a half million dollars is all we need to raise to be completely debt free as a congregation. That's all. And by selling the commercial pads, that's only two acres in each pad. We started out with 63 and a half acres. We'll still have 59 and a half acres to build the dream. Amen. We're not giving our property away. God has positioned us. And because we have tried to be faithful and wise stewards, we're about to move into our destiny. Amen. So I conclude today by asking you, what do we as a congregation need to do? What do we need to do? Step number one, help us pray that we can sell the commercial paths. I'll make it plain for you. We sell those, we will start building immediately. That's all we need to do to get started. Amen. Sell the commercial pads. Alternatively, we need to raise $2.5 million. As soon as we can raise $2.5 million, we can also build. Now you say, Pastor, another building uh, program, fundraising campaign. Look, do you know that we pledged $7.2 million just a few years ago? That's what we pledged. What was it five or six years ago? 7.2. Raised 3.3. With the two and a half million that we need to raise, that's not even as much as we originally pledged. That's a million and a half less than what we said we would give before the economy fell apart. Now, we're not coming back to try to get more. We're just trying to, we're we not even going to ask you to fulfill the original commitment. Just help us raise only two and a half million. We'll take care of it. We'll move into that building debt-free. Won't owe anybody anything. Now, the question is this. What should you give? I'll say this as I conclude. The economy is not where it was 
during the, the, all these dark times that, 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 that America went through. It's not. According to Forbes magazine, the economy in Houston is now back where it was at pre-recession levels and better. For the next four years, Forbes magazine says that Houston will be the fourth largest and fastest growing economy in the United States of America. The question is, will you tap into that? You want to stay right where the glory was. You won't be able to move into the land that is seized. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do I want to position myself for God's favor that is coming? Now, you say, does that mean we got to stretch ourselves? Yes. But I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to hear from God because if God leads you, you can't go wrong. How many of you found out if God speaks to you and you obey God, you can't go wrong? I'm not going to ask you to listen to me. I'm not going to coerce anybody. I'm not going to beat anybody up. I'm not going to get up here and pull for offerings. I'm going to ask you to pray. And you will hear more from us a little bit later about the next steps. But right now, just begin to pray. And say, God, what would you have me to do? You know why? Because your obedience will tie you into the fulfillment of the promise that is coming. Just as Israel obeyed and moved and fought to took the land, guess who was blessed? They were. Guess who stopped being nomads, paying rent, and had their own property? They did. Guess who moved into their future destinies, built businesses, and became the most prosperous people in the world? They did. Why? Because they fought to take the land. In conclusion, I'll just say this about our last campaign. Now, most of you make, probably most of you make more than I do. I'm just going to lay it out there and tell you. Money doesn't mean much to me. I've said that, and some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, he's saying that. No, I'm, I'm serious. Jerry and I together make less than very many of you do. Very many of you. Many of you make more than we do. Yet, whenever we had that last campaign, God spoke to me. And I've been talking about Nehemiah. Last week I told you that not only did the people give, but Nehemiah set the example and gave first. I decided that as a leader, I had to give. I looked at my finances. There was no way that I could give. Every dollar that comes in when I speak in engagements and conferences around the world goes to missions. I don't keep any of that. I live only on the salary that is given to me by this congregation, which is, I think you need to know this, which is about one-third of what most pastors of church this size receive. Could I ask for more? Yeah, Tony's on the, the board. He'll tell you, I haven't asked for a salary and I don't know when. Salary increase and I don't know when. I could ask for more. Haven't wanted to. And God spoke a figure to me that when he spoke to it, I went, <coughs> I started choking. Because after taxes, <laughs> I wasn't going to have much left. You know what I mean? And God spoke to me, and you know what? I felt so strong. I talked to Jerry about it, and we agreed to obey God. Guess who got one of those plaques the other day? I paid every single cent of my pledge because God positioned me supernaturally. In fact, I'm not going to lead anybody where I'm not willing to go. I'm not going to tell you to go fight while I stay home. I had no respect for people like Osama bin Laden hiding in caves and telling young men, here, put this dynamite around your waist and go out and cure yourself for the glory of Allah. I wanted to say, why don't you go show us how? 
I can't respect leadership that doesn't lead. You know what I mean? And I obeyed God. And do you know what I found out afterward? I was among the top three givers to our campaign, even though I am far from being among the top three wage earners in this congregation. God was good to me. Now, I'm done, but I'll just tell you this. You say, Pastor, what's changed in your life? I'll tell you what's changed. I'm at another place in God right now. I am not where I was before that campaign began. I am not. My life has changed. I'm changed. I don't even know how it's happened. But I have moved into a place of financial prosperity. I'm still making the same amount of money. But now I've got resources I didn't even know where they would come from. I have no idea how they've shown up. God has blessed me supernaturally. Amen. Oh, I need somebody to say hallelujah here. In fact, I'll share this with you and then I'm, I'm done. I received a supernatural increase of 300%. Above what I gave to that, that campaign that I did not have any hopes of ever receiving. 300% more. And I remind you, I was among the top three givers in the church, even though most of you, many of you, make more than I do. Having said that, all I'll say is this. Would I do it over again? Oh, I've already started. You, you joking, but I've already started. I, I just the other day gave $2,500 toward the next campaign. That's just the first installment. And it, the campaign hadn't even begun yet. Amen. I found out you can obey God and God will bless you. The, and this is where CT is getting ready to go. We have been blessed. We have property worth millions. Help us pray to sell the corner pads. Give God glory for where he's already brought us from. Oh, you're not responding the way you need to. Somebody ought to be giving God some praise. Your church is now debt free. Amen. And then next, ask God to make a way where we can raise two and a half million dollars. A church our size, that actually is a very small amount to raise. You obey God. Pray. Ask God what he will have you to give.